Class is in session. Your most unconventional class. She talks all things, all subjects. It's the interdisciplinary podcast, hosted by your favorite doctor. This is what's the say with Doctor Kim Ray. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is Travis P. Jackson, CEO and founder of HBCU Pride Nation, with an amazing woman named Dr. Kim Ray Hill. Hey, everyone. Yes, so this is the episode of Faces of HBCUs, where we tell the HBCU story through the experiences of those that have been there in an effort to get students to go to HBCUs. So, Dr. Kim Ray Hill, how you doing? great I'm doing great I'm glad to be here good good tell the people about yourself oh wow can I hold the mic yes you can <laughs> Go ahead. so um a little bit about me I don't want to bore you so I'm just gonna she's not gonna bore you <laughs> I just want to talk about should I should I talk about how I got to be where I am or what you, what? you should talk about where are you from um your aspirations what you have achieved so far in your life that you would want them to know probably like three minutes okay we're gonna get into the whole thing else okay so um originally i'm from fort lauderdale miami florida and i moved to charlotte in about the year 2007 end of 2006 and um i wanted to live here when i was in college and undergrad and we'll talk about all of that um and how i got here in a minute but i moved here because i wanted to move to charlotte as it was the next up-and-coming city from what i was reading in black enterprise and jet magazine and all these other um where uh black young uh bachelors were going because I was looking for my husband (laughs) I didn't find him in college so I was looking for my husband in Charlotte and I'm still looking for him (laughs) but so I moved here and I um, started my career in um, helping marginalized and um, um, black students get into college and then I decided to get my higher degrees in uh, adult education human resource development mm-hmm. and my PhD in leadership studies she got a dot three. yes a dot three. and I am a double Aggie from North Carolina A&T can I get an Aggie pride Aggie pride so that's that's a little bit about me and i'll let you ask some questions as we go along okay okay so based on the conversation that we had earlier you have a very strong hbcu legacy when it comes to your family how does that make you feel I absolutely love HBCUs. Uh, to, to share with the people, as I shared with you, um, a little bit about why I love HBCUs so much. Yeah, why do you love HBCUs? So when I was a little girl, okay. uh, my parents, let me take you back. My parents went to, my mother went to Tennessee State University, but she graduated from Florida A&M University. Big blue? Mm-hmm. Aggie, uh, no, that ain't Aggie Pride. That's not Aggie Pride. That ain't no, that's, that's Strike, Strike, and Strike again, yeah, though, is where she graduated Aggie from. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm so used to Aggie Pride. So, and then my dad went to Howard first. He was the uh, head drum major as a freshman. And my dad is 5'8. That's not normal for a head drum major and as a freshman. But anyway, he graduated from Bethune Cookman College. So, um, if anyone knows about the Florida Classic, 
it's a big rivalry uh, in the Florida schools um, between Florida A&M and Bethune-Cookman College. Well, now Bethune-Cookman University. Yeah, and nope, they want you to make sure you say that university. <laughs> Facts. So with that, we used to go, since I was a little, ki- little girl, we would go big, heavy, uh, about 50 of us in my family. Wow. More, more, more rattlers than uh, wildcats. But we would uh, rotate sides of where we were going to sit on which side for which team each year but for about 20 years we went to that Florida Classic game since I was a little girl you know all the way through college mm-hmm. and um, the bands HBCU bands from that moment that I kept going to those games every year I fell in love with H- the HBCU experience yeah. the HBCU camaraderie at these games mm-hmm. and the bands that like everybody waited to see the band at halftime and the fifth quarter as they call it after the fourth quarter which band was you, which band what's so crazy is it was really hard it was a house divided right yeah. you know but um because we had more rattlers in my family and they were known as the marching 100 mm-hmm. who you know invented a lot of the runs that they do across the field now all bands um and so for that reason i was more passionate about the the famu rattlers and i actually wanted to be a rattler i actually Pad housing. Are you going to ask me about that? Okay, well, I'm going to pass this mic to you now. Yeah. So with that experience of going to the Florida Classic, um, during those times, you say you loved the band, you loved the camaraderie, you loved everything. Did Was it hard to decide which HBCU that you wanted to go to between the two of those? Well, I wanted to be one of the – 14 karat gold dancers because I grew up dancing so I did kind of want to go to uh, Bethune Cookman however the Rattlers were um, more strong in my family and um, it was a state institution so it was a lot more uh, financially feasible Um, and it was just uh, I just wanted to be a Rattler because of all of those things so then you say you had a dorm assignment at FAMU, but then you didn't go to FAMU. Why didn't you go to FAMU? What happened? This this message here is for my ladies. Yeah. Okay, my high school ladies, right? So I had a high school sweetheart who was a little bit older than me. He graduated two years before me with my brother, and he went to FAMU, and he decided around the time that I was getting ready to go to college, that he was going to transfer from FAMU and go to the University of Central Florida. So ironically, um, as much as I had FAMU stuff all over my walls since, you know, I was going to the Florida Classic and, you know, I thought I was going to be a Rattler and orange and green all over me, right? I, I, I sadly changed everything for this, this guy who I met in high school. Do you still know? No. Oh. <laughs> no. We broke up literally the first week that I was at the University of Central Florida. And he didn't even go there after him forced, not forcing me, but he basically, you know, was like, you, you should go there so that we can be together. And I was thinking, oh, okay, well, I got to change my whole life and go to UCF for, for, uh-huh. for you then. I'll do that just for you. So when big it comes, mistake ladies so when it comes when it comes to the ladies and the message that you want to put out to them what would that be it would be to always follow your 
passion, your dream, your plan, your goals. Um, because I feel like even till this day, I have been living for other people. And I've decided to stop doing that, you know, at this point in my life. And I think I'm old enough to, to know that I shouldn't be doing that. And I just want to say to you guys, while you're 18 and 19, 20, you know, you're so young, you have your whole life ahead of you. Don't wait till you're 36 like me, and I'm okay to share my age with you. Don't you. Look, you don't look 36 <laughs> at all. You look like you on the on the uh, HBCU dance team. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> so with that, though, I uh, you must follow your plan, your dreams. You know, um, I was thankful to c go to a great school. The University of Central Florida is a great school. It is the second largest in the United States of America, yeah. but. You know, I didn't get my experience at that time. Okay. So then after, U after UCF, um, you decided to move to Charlotte. Yeah. And you decided to move to Charlotte to work at Lemonstone College. Yes. So give us, give us what it was like to go from a very big college in Central Florida to a small, intimate environment. Mm. This is one reason why HBCUs are so powerful and so important. Uh, the experience that you received at Livingstone College or a school like it is unlike no other. The, the administration, they know the students, they care about you, they know your parents, they know your family. It's a whole family experience. You feel like you're not just a number, which is what I was at UCF, mm -hmm. um, but, but you feel like you're a person and uh, you bring value to the institution. Right. And you also receive more opportunity because um, any organization that's coming to uh, look for diverse talent, as they call it today, they go to the first place that they think they can find diversity, and that's at an HBCU. HBCU. So would you say, so there's this, there's this myth about HBCUs that the, that the education at a PW, hold on, that the education at the HBCU isn't equivalent to the education of a PWI. What is your stance on that? Well, I mean, I totally disagree. Um, as I said, it, you you have a whole different experience where you have the ability to go to your professor, you know, have a relationship with your professor, and therefore you're able to get more feedback. Feedback is very important when you're trying to grow and develop at that turning point in your life which is that 18 to 24 range um and so i just i just i have to argue with um the fact that you know you have a not as good of an education then if you think about the class size that i had to deal with at central florida mm -hmm. i had classes with 400 people in them <laughs> yes Whoa. and they had these remote controls that we had to purchase like a book you'd There's have to go clicking. to the bookstore and buy it and it was to call to to chime in on your answers that the the teacher would ask the class um and to roll call for roll call to say that you were there present you would click your little clicker and that would show that you were present in the class that's wow. that's not a great experience yeah, it's like you're just a remote control. And if you're an introvert or someone who's a little bit shy, you're not going to just go up to your professor and grow this relationship with them at those types of institutions. you know I'm an introvert. Really? Yeah. I don't think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, Livingstone. Yes. 
Livingstone, the home of the Blue Bears, the the school that played in the first HBCU football game against. That's what they do. LC. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. It looked like it looked like you got Carpal Tunnel or something. <laughs> but um, Livingstone College was also the first HBCU to play against John C. Smith in the first HBCU football game. Um, I'm Mr. HBCU. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So with 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 that experience that led you to um you worked in admissions mm-hmm. while you were working at, in admissions you was then inspired to go work for Thurgood Marshall College Fund yes. so so tell us what inspired you during that experience at Livingstone to get to Thurgood Marshall College Fund because Thurgood Marshall College Fund is a very powerful organization that have really helped a lot of African-American students um, attend HBCUs yeah. is uh, named after the first Supreme Court justice that attended Lincoln University of Pennsylvania that helped us to um, desegregate schools at Brown v. Board of Education. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so he ain't think. I know my stuff. I'm trying to tell you. So, 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 what was that transition? Well, um, to go back, HBCUs have really been uh, a passion of mine. I'm an advocate for them, and um, working on the campus of Livingstone College, and still not having my own experience going to an HBCU yet at that time, right? Um, was just incredible for me. I had to kind of um, use that that experience at Livingstone as a stepping stone and then use my talents at all of the public HBCUs in the country with Thurgood Marshall College Fund. I said public, not private, right? United Negro College Fund is over the private, private yeah. um, HBCUs. Which HBCU was your... You see how I'm just asking you Favorite? Don't ask me my favorite. <laughs> oh, don't ask you that. <laughs> oh, it's so many, but I will tell you a couple, a few of my tops, right? Okay. So, of course, North Carolina A&T State University, Aggie Pride, of course. Yeah. Um, I will have to say that I enjoy Jackson State. That's Mississippi. I did enjoy yeah. Jackson State. Um, I did like Grambling as well. Louisiana. Yes. Um, what was another one that I liked? I also liked um, oh, Norfolk State University. Norfolk State. Norfolk. They have an incredible um, robotics type of nursing program there yeah. that's super cutting edge and I mean, people from all over the world go to that school for that program. It's really interesting how they have a robot that's a nurse. You know, they train yeah. you on that. So, wow. yeah, I would have to say those are my tops. Um, not not your Howard, not your, you know, um, Howard, believe it or not, is private, but it's still a Thurgood Marshall. I just learned that it was private. Yeah, like, yeah, it's world? private. Yeah, so I, I never quite understood how it was a Thurgood Marshall school, I guess because it's in D.C., I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, so anyway. <laughs> so, don't be mad at me. Okay, because we have to go back in the conversation because it's one significant aspect that you forgot to tell the people about. It was about the significance of your grandfather and his influence and impact in Florida. So can you please tell them who he was, what he did and how that inspired you? Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad that you went back to that, Travis. We completely forgot about that. So, yes, absolutely. Very important. So my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, my dad's dad, is Dr. Von Mizell. And he, as his education, he went to Morehouse. He's a Morehouse man. And then he finished up his residency at Howard University. 
So another HBCU connection for me. But my grandfather was also a big advocate, um, civil rights activist, and he he would run with uh, Thurgood Marshall and also uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So um, he he what he did was he founded the NAACP chapter in South Florida. And he also uh, was, did I mention he was the first black surgeon in, I think you okay, so he, well, he founded the, the first hospital for blacks down there. When blacks were dying because they couldn't go to the white hospital, when we were in desegregated times, right? Uh, excuse me, in segregated times, um, there, blacks were dying and couldn't get health care and things like that. Do you, do you know the name of the Providence, hospital? Providence Hospital, yes. Wow. It no longer exists today, but okay. um, yes, you can Google it and it's there and he was the founder. Okay. Um, and so with, with that, in me, you know, it's kind of innate in me, my characteristics and my advocacy for black people and marginalized people and um, individuals from HBCUs and, and just our culture, you know, our background, our experiences. We don't have the access. We don't have, you know, the opportunities. There's a, there's a gap. There's an opportunity divide in our, in our society, our nation. Um, and I'm just really passionate about that. Okay. I've seen your, your whole spirit yo the manner just changed it was just like i'm here this is what i'm passionate about so all right out of everything that you do from being a creative director to being a consultant to having experience in entertainment to education to just everything if you was the if you put a term on you you would say you are a talent development specialist yes. right so after your experience at Thurgood Marshall College Fund and being talent acquisition manager, yes. talent acquisition, yes, I got you, sis. I told you that. Um, a talent acquisition manager. You then, you then went to you. You decided that you want to continue to do talent development and decided to go get your master's from a to from A and T. Yes. So, what was the experience like at A and T? I finally got to my HBCU. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my parents said that the moment I started going there and I was excited. <laughs> I was at I was at the financial aid line and I was waiting. I didn't care. I was like, I'm in How line. Long it How long did it take you? It was actually a very good experience. Let me tell you, I was in and out. I went to the registrar. They put me, they brought me in the back. I had the red carpet experience at wow. A&T. My first day on the campus, my first day in the city of Greensboro. I went to my uh, program manager, director of the, the adult education program, mm -hmm. Dr. Bernadine S. Dot Chapman. How you doing? <laughs> you got to say the S. Dot. She you know gave me the red carpet treatment and then she introduced me to one young man Ron Harris Ron was with me from the time I stepped foot on there and he showed me around he introduced me to everybody he went to undergrad at A&T and after I met him he I, he introduced me to all the most important people so my experience with financial aid um with um enrollment registration it all happened in one day and it was just incredible and i was like wow i am where i finally wanted to be all these years wow that's awesome that is that is so awesome so was you happy when you started going to homecoming oh my god and going to Yes. yes that that, that was the life right there yes. so 
it's one big thing that you recently did was um one thing that you recently did which was very very major y'all i gotta get my spirit up in here she has become a um what they call it she obtained her doctorate in what sis leadership studies leadership studies and the topic of her doctorate was about um gender gender equity mm-hmm. climbing climbing the leadership ladder and community colleges yes yes right yes. so what made what made you want to focus on those top um is it topic or topics it's Okay, on that topic specifically. Yeah. Um, well, s- specifically, okay, so there were a few reasons. Okay. Um, because I consider myself a feminist, okay. uh, I wanted to kind of touch base on gender equity. Um, and what the funny, the, the interesting thing is, my topic was created five years ago. So that was long before the Me Too movement, the feminist movement, they call it, when all of these, you know, women were coming together. And, you know, so I didn't realize that the future was just around the corner that this was going to there was going to be a feminist movement. Um, And so my topic was very is still very relevant today. And it's actually a hot topic. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was a piece I wanted included in my 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 research. And then the community college piece. I love HBCUs. I really do, as you can tell, as we've talked about a little bit here today. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I also, I also am an advocate for education being affordable and accessible to our people, to all people. Um, but so with that, community colleges um, are also near and dear to me because my maternal grandfather, my mom's stepdad uh who i know is my granddad he was the first black community college president in the state of florida so now i have a connection to the community college system by way of my black grandfather right Mm -hmm. so now we're still talking about you know the 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 hbcu connection and and the community college connection and with that um community colleges are extremely unique institutions because they are they're extremely affordable right they they will put you two years in you know you'll get a degree um within two years and then you can transfer to a university to get a four-year degree so now you've saved half of that first you know the the four-year expense by going to two years at a at a a less expensive institution um you also anyone can get in there there's it's open admissions as they call it um so i kind of wanted to be able to touch a lot of lives with my research and so i felt like if i if I have, uh, if I talk about an institution that is open admissions, that means to everyone, and then we're talking about the imperative of gender equity, and you know the 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 these women climbing the leadership ladder, and women are being more prepared for uh, leadership roles today. That's why th- this is so important. I mean, because our the facts are the data numbers don't lie, right? And the data is showing us that the next layer the next future of leaders are women because of our preparation we're graduating more we're more prepared and um we're now starting to sponsor each other and come together and as you can see the feminist movement has made that happen as well so that is how i kind of came to my conclusion of uh wanting to research on um 
community colleges being more accessible being more part of it the 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 conversation to be more part involved in the conversation that's that's how i got there okay okay so when it comes to uh, i admire women that are in leadership um like miss dr gwendolyn at tennessee state university who's the also the president of alpha kappa alpha sorority incorporated then you have uh dr rosalind artist at benedict college do you feel that the experience of being a female university president is completely different from the experience of a male president? Absolutely. Uh, I do believe that. I think that, um, you know, women are more nurturing. They're uh, more understanding of family and um emotional support and those things matter as I was kind of saying earlier when you're in that 18 to 23 range you really are at a very trying time in your life it's very changing it's very different you go through a lot of change in your life during that period but it's your in your adult life I mean you go through a lot of change when you're a baby crawling and you walk too right but we're talking about when your adult life those are the like biggest years of change right and um you know so it's important that you have a leader or a mentor a supporting system that understands your emotional uh need or needs right then you know and um i do believe that women have that that ability to you know uh understand receive and and accept certain things and 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 you know can can coach you through those things a little bit differently well, most, most most of the most of the people most of my friends are women and then i was raised by a single mother and then my whole i call it my wakanda army full of amazing women so shout out to the women shout out to you all how can people find you well you can find me at dr kim ray that's d-r-k-y-m-r-a-e or you can go to my uh, website at drkymrae.com or my YouTube channel at slash YouTube slash C slash YouTube.com slash C slash drkymrae. All right. And do you have any final words that you would like to say to our audience today? Um. Well, thank you so much, Travis. I'd like to thank you first for this experience and your time today. Uh, but I also want to just say that it is so important that we continue to support our HBCUs. We didn't really talk about this, but I want to say this right now to you as I look at you through this camera. We must support our HBCUs. They are the most valuable institutions that we have around. Uh, there are three things that drive revenue at an institution of higher learning. Okay, I like to call them the triple A's. This is what I call them. I don't. I didn't hear this from anybody. This is what Dr. Kim Ray calls them. Yes, yes. There are three things that drive revenue at an HBCU to keep it alive. Number one admissions for a a for admissions right admissions basically your enrollment how many students you have matters and that keeps your institution alive okay number two athletics athletics is so important because it drives the boosters the the, the dollars from like the coca-cola the pepsi the sponsors right um but we need our athletes we need our black athletes to come to our schools. We need you to stop taking those deals from 
the Clemson, the UM, the FSU. We, we have to come to our HBCUs and bring it back to what, what it was back, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. 70s. Yeah, we need that. There were guys. There are guys who were in the NFL. Guys from HBCU, Shannon Sharp, uh, Sharp, Jerry, Jerry Rice, Walter Payton, Michael Strahan, and even now from our own school, A and T, Tariq Cohen, yes. doing his thing. So that goes to show you that even today, you can go to an HBCU and get to the league. Exactly. So we have to support our institutions. If we don't change it, they're not going to change their 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 culture and their rules and their you know, it's, we're just going to keep losing. So that's number two. The last A and the three A's of revenue driving that keeps an HBCU alive is, I like to call it alumni because that's an A, but it's really the endowment, the money that, that the institution receives from their alumni. Yeah. Their, their big endowment, those dollars keep institutions alive. We have to give back when we graduate from these HBCUs. We talk about GHO. Oh, it's the greatest homecoming on earth. Oh, are you going to go? The moment we leave and check out of the hotel on that Sunday of, of GHO, we're already texting our friends. Oh, are you going next year? Well, did you owe? Oh, uh, did you give $20 to the Office of Alumni Affairs? That's what we need to be talking about. <laughs> what is you uh, get one at all? Let me stop you right there, real quick, sis. Um, because I have this thing that I that I formulated right, and it has sparked some heated debate, but then it has sparked a lot of understanding, okay. right? When we talk about alumni, mm -hmm. our institutions put so much, so much responsibility on alumni, but then they don't necessarily look at themselves, mm. right? Because a lot of alumni want to give back. I'll, I'll say for me, for instance, sometimes when I try to go back to my alma mater or something, I may not have money to give, but I have opportunities. I have connections. I have. I want to mentor students. But sometimes some HBCUs look down upon that and only focus on those that are giving money, right? Where money isn't the end all be all. Of course, it helps the institutions to keep going. But when it comes to personal investment of these students, like we as alumni, they need us. Yeah. So then when you think about the undergraduate experience that is offered, sometimes it can lack quality service. It can be a lot of like your financial aid being lost. Mm -hmm. It could go into those administrators or something that looked down upon upon you sure. when you was in school. So when you really look at it from a value proposition type aspect, Alumni, we are we know for sure that we have the money to give, yeah. right? Because we'll plan for a whole entire year for a whole weekend, mm -hmm. have five thousand, ten thousand yeah. dollars, go out there and get get our products ready to go and sell. Yeah. So if we if we can do that for a weekend, mm -hmm. we already know that we have the money mm -hmm. in order to continue to give. But the HBCUs themselves and our institutions, they have to meet us halfway and stop yeah. making it seem like it's our fault that our our HBCUs are exactly where where it's because of alumni that HBCUs are where they are. Yeah. It has to be a mutual benefit. What do you think about that? I, I like your take on that. I honestly uh, hadn't hadn't seen it from your perspective. I mean, I am an alumni. I'm a double Aggie. Um, but uh, I, I hadn't I hadn't thought of it from that perspective. But I think you are absolutely 100% correct. Um, we 
definitely need to see it from both ends and not think of you. It's almost like the, the, the HBCUs after you finish are looking at you like you were that uh, black student at the well, I call them TWIs, traditionally white institutions, because some of them we've kind of taken over. But um, so they're no longer PWI. But the at the TWIs, you know how I said I felt like I was just a number. It's kind of like that. You kind of feel like that after you graduate. Like you're just trying to get a few dollars out of me. And what's funny is Sally Mae. She's always trying to get money, but then our HBCU trying to get money from us too. When, especially when I could speak on this for for days. Especially when it like shout out to our chapter here in Queen City with yeah. Latisha Manuel. She's been doing major major things, but and our 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 chapter has been doing great work. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times when it comes from the alumni association, especially local chapters, sometimes it lacks the necessary investment to get to know the student or the recent grad. Mm -hmm. And we just look at them as we're, they're trying to get money from us. Like we're already trying to run away from Sally Mae yeah. for the first couple of years yeah. of graduating. And then you yeah. keep asking us for stuff. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So it's it's a that's a whole paradigm within itself. It really yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you. So much. How I do? Amazing. Oh my gosh. I'm normally on the other side of the microphone doing the interviewing. So this was an interesting take on it. And you did an awesome job. And he remembered so much about me. I'm impressed. Good job. I got you. <laughs> so um this is Dr. Kim Ray Hill. I am Travis P. Jackson, the GOAT. The GOAT. Yeah, the GOAT. Mr. HBCU, I claim that title. Um, and you all will be able to see this episode very, very soon on faces of HBCUs. HBCU Pride. Have a great day.